Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps. That's a spoiler, and you're going to hear more. first true episode of the Bardic Community College podcast. I'm Derek. Uh, I'm Jordan. And today we're going to be talking about something quite special, Spamalot. Um, and I wouldn't, just to point out, I wouldn't expect a lot of theater, but this is pretty fresh since we just went and saw it and we thought it was pretty topical. Um, so this is definitely more of a one-off or an inaugural episode, I suppose. And I'm sure someday we're gonna we're gonna be talking a lot more Monty Python. Python is is probably one of the most influential things to my at least understanding of comedy and film. Yeah, I mean, up until we get to the point of like you know Brooks or Ghostbusters or like the really tangible formative comedians. Like, I don't think we're going to be doing, like, Charlie Chaplin anytime soon, but, I mean, if it's <laughs> something that comes up, we'll do it, you know? Well, and I, I was just more, I was more talking just specifically about me watching, like, movies. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what, that's your shtick. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. And Monty Python, The Holy Grail, is a movie that I watched and rewatched over and over when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, like, I, I remember I snuck it into my youth group at church uh, over a weekend retreat. Wait, and what? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we watched that pretty much all weekend because we didn't really have a supervisor because we were the slightly older group. So we just sat down and watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail for like, I don't know, we watched it like four or five times over like a three-day weekend. It was pretty sweet. That's that's wild. Well, I didn't go to church for the church part of it. I went because it was a social event. <laughs> um, so... Which brings so spam a lot. Um, so back in '04, I guess uh, Eric Idle put together um, the quest for this, more money. The quest. For, <laughs> I think that's. Um, I mean, Eric Idle. God, God bless him. Jokes aside, more money couldn't have hurt, and it was the only real thing that anybody had done anything with the Python's name in years. A significant amount of time, and like there were there were scatterings of success. Like Eric Idle was in the Transformers animated movie in '86, and I well, like he's to been think, making uh, <laughs> yeah he's been making uh, appearances been making, for some time. He's been making cameos and voice appearances for like ever. John Cleese is a still semi-respected actor with a question mark who makes appearances. Yeah, but he makes appearances because he's broke all the time. So like there's there's a questionable I mean, amount yeah. of. Um, there, Terry uh, Jones know. is a historian, so he's got like a real job. <laughs> I know that's just terrifying, isn't it? Terry Gilliam directed a shitload of movies and directed not a lot of movies that because he of did uh, bad budget. He did like Brazil and uh, the Jabberwocky, right? Mm-hmm. He's okay. also been like he was originally tapped to do the Harry Potter movies and then got like told, uh, "No, we're not doing that." 
Well, I mean, I'm uh, sure that's not the first time he's been told he's no. He's got several, so. you know, several projects fall into development hell. But, you know, the movies we do get at Gilliam are great. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, so we, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Spamalot came through town. Um, and we went to the local theater, which isn't, um, as a bit of a preface, just because we can talk shop. Um, it's not a full stage. It's a three-quarter stage. So, like, prop-wise, uh, they had to squish some things, um, just because that's the theater's uh, several decades old. Um, and I'm it's just also, sort of how it fell. I'm also going to preface with, I was in the nosebleeds. I was way up high. And I was in orchestra, because I'm not yes. sitting in a balcony. He made probably the right move, but I paid thirty dollars for my ticket, and I'm kind of happy with just having gotten away with that. Yeah, no, I mean the value is definitely there. Like, I don't think being closer makes and it I any am... better. Well, I think the only real concern for me is just if I was going again, I wouldn't. I would probably. I mean, I, the only real benefit is just comfort at that point. Um, but for me, what was kind of nice about being up that high is just that because it wasn't very crowded up there, I had a good view, even though it was at a, uh, <laughs> even though it was like this weird, almost bird's eye view. Like, is this what God looks down to see what man is? Yeah. The, so the, the, <laughs> the slant that comes from the top of the theater to the bottom of the balcony is like, it's kind of steep. Um, and that's, it's not traditional balcony steep. It's like. You know, if you uh, if you step a little too short, you're gonna die, kind of Steve. Oh yeah, like you could put like ooh, that would be a good way to frame a murder is pushing somebody down those stairs. <laughs> well, I mean, it'd take them forever to stop falling, but yeah. So like, to, just to give you sort of an idea of how the theater is made up. So uh, we were down on left balcony, which was fine. Um, we were V, so uh, however many that is back, eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, something like that. Um. Which was fine. Uh, we got perfect seats. Uh, we were on the far left side, so it was fine. You were in the balcony at double... I was, was in it? the double Y or something. Yeah. And then I, but I was directly in the middle. So. Yeah, and I, we were... I think the middle would have been better for the show, um, having seen it. But I don't think it really matters. Like, it doesn't affect the, the view of it. The, uh, the acoustics in the theater are fine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that, that particular I, crew is... knew how to carry. So, like, they actually projected well. Uh, and, I mean, it's the kind of play that I think is kind of, like, it's playing to broad kind of audiences. It's not like, um, it's not like you're going to see a, like, a smaller, like, very deeply intense production. You know, it's a musical and a comedy, farcical musical, so. Yeah, very, big, the, the very broad, broad strokes, so to speak. Yes, sir, indeed. Um. But anyway, um, the play is a, I would say, a, a, fairly, a, a fairly close kind of reimagining of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the 1975 movie, in the form of a musical. Yeah, other um, than they have, been, they have injected certain scenes of just Pythondom. Um, for the sake of them just being there, because you know, why wouldn't you? Uh, there's, there's, there's some stuff. There's some like sketches or like lots of little nods to sketches hidden throughout the play, which is, which is, um, 
they're just kind of sprinkled in for the most. Yeah. Part. So like they um, they so getting into the play itself, like they open up with uh, the narrator who is very python in vocals um announcing like hey we're going to england and then they do the python thing where they swap to finland and they do the fish slapping (laughs) dance which was very surprising i was so like everybody's used to the moose bit my sister opening so like if you haven't prepared for it you're like what the what the hell is a fish slapping dance and you're like oh they're doing a python gag okay all right carry on um, and, um, and from there, it, it, it follows a lot of the same beats as the movie. You, you know, you start at Arthur going to a castle, King Arthur, of course, uh, and meeting, uh, and meeting these guys who like start arguing with him over why they're using coconuts, know, yeah. coconuts and swallows and all that. And, um, so and really, you get just a lot of the scenes from the movie that get a little expanded to form. Yeah, there's there's a little more exposition def- on some of the it, gags. I, I I would argue that it has more of a narrative than the movie does, because when you get down to it, the movie, uh, it's it, it tries to structure itself a little more around having a plot. Well, I mean, it kind of has to, because if you don't have some sort of overarching narrative in a Broadway musical, you're just like, eh. Um, Then I'm already getting into the I would argue. But anyway, um, from there, um, King Arthur collects his knights, and... Well, so, and here's here's the, the weird part. So, Sir Robin and Lancelot have a musical scene during the Bring Out Your Dead, because they do the Not Quite Dead song, which was fun, it was cute. Um, and they introduce like Lancelot as the admiral, but homicidally insane, uh, and Sir Robin as Sir Robin. Um, so in the original production, it was David Hyde Pierce, and I don't remember who played Lancelot because I don't think it really Actually, matters. Have, uh, I'm gonna rock the wiki right now. Okay. Um, and originally Lancelot was Hank Azaria. Oh, okay, so that would have been absolutely wild to have seen that Hank Azaria as Lancelot. Amazing. That sounds insane. Because you had, like, Tim Curry as Arthur, you had David Hyde Pierce as Sir Robin, and then you had Hank Azaria, who a lot of people aren't super familiar with until you get into his body of work. Like, right now he's working on Brockmire. I think it's on AMC, which uh, is pure comedy gold if you haven't seen it. Um, I think most people would recognize him as several voices on The Simpsons. Quite a few. Uh, He's worked with Matt Groening for... Jesus... I don't even know. <laughs> For forever. Inception. Um, mm-hmm. So the big thing being, um, so they do, the way he approach, gets the knights is different. So yes. um, it's not like, hey, we found these guys sort of in, um, uh, what's the, the phrase for movement with music? Um, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, instead of... Montage. Well, so he doesn't find yeah, him in it's... montage, sort of like he does in the movie. So you get Sir Robin and Sir Lancelot in Not Quite Dead, which is the bring out your dead scene from the movie. So that was cute. And then it mm-hmm. cuts to uh, how he meets the mudslingers, the the peasants in front of the castle. And then, mm-hmm. the, you know, the uh, it's just because some watery tart lobbed a scimitar at you doesn't mean you hold uh, governmental authority, yeah. etc. Yeah, Dennis is now Sir Galahad. Sir yeah, Dennis so Dennis Galahad. turns into Galahad after he gets 
laid by the Lady of the Lake, I guess. Which was different, because I thought the whole point of Galahad was being the pure. Uh, but they were just like, nope, we're going to turn this dude into a man. And then they sort of go off and boink, I guess. I don't know. It was really... That was the one part where I was like, this doesn't so, make any sense. Yeah. We have a new character who... Um, is kind of like, very I, prevalent now. It's kind of like, a, I guess, like a diva role. Like a big female actress role in the, in the Lady of the Lake. She appears in the movie a bunch. And then um, most of the core actors of the play are just the knights. And once again, you have... And King Arthur is... I would even say he's even more involved than he is in the movie. He, like, um, he's I think in a it's, lot. I think it's 50-50. I think him and... I think Patsy has a lot more actual screen time because they actually wrote a character he, for Patsy. He has a lot more lines, for sure. Yeah, because like in the movie, he had like a couple of whisper jokes. Like, it's only a model. Like, that kind of stuff. But, yeah. like, for the most part, he didn't have an actual character, whereas in the play, they develop him a lot. <laughs> he's a... I would, I would probably say he's the... Like, maybe the second or third major character overall. Uh, I mean, definitely the funniest. Like, our, ours in particular had some very good Ooh. lines. Um, um, I, if you can catch the play, um, they have... Um, they definitely have a couple of jokes that are tailored to the uh the venue so yeah so like keep, keep so keep a lookout for stuff like that there was yeah. a there was a uh you know a theater shakingly good good line from the knights of knee later on but uh for the most part the 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 play follows a a, a loose narrative similar to the movie um a lot of agents of some scenes and to to fit a narrative better, like uh, specific like Lancelot and uh, Robin coming from the "We're not dead" scene, versus uh, a lot of like a lot of minor scenes cut mostly to help things flow a little better as a narrative. And you have lots and lots of songs. This is a musical, so yeah. Because I um, think between. Uh, not quite dead and spam a lot. They had the Lady of the Lake song, which sort of introduced her as a character, and then she got onto Galahad, and that turned into uh, a very recurring song, which I don't actually recall the name of. But you got the wiki. It's like this is the yeah, song that sounds like the this. Song, the song that goes like this. Yeah, which is sort of the uh, satire of the duet love song on Broadway. So I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the musical numbers. Uh, with uh, one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, uh, there's like uh, there's like at least ten actual songs, a couple of reprises, and um, you know, obviously you have an orchestra playing. Uh, you have a couple of songs that are just wholesale taken from some of the other python movies or the show yeah so like the um, the fish slapping song was just sort of a lean in to the <laughs> flying circus and then you have like at the beginning of act two they do always look on the bright side of life which is which uh, was uh life yeah, of brian a, like wholesale yeah just well it's a little changed and obviously every song is grander a little more broadway a little more um uh like they're all like they're all just um there's all a lot more dancing to them as well. Um, the Camelot song, which uh, 
is the only song actually in Monty Python and the Holy Grail the movie is ex is very expanded. It is um, it is a whole thing, and it continues to be a whole thing. Yeah, um, it's a a very large recurring gag. Um, and they have they have like they have a couple reprises of songs. You have. Uh, um, I would I would honestly say the music probably takes up about half of the spoken dialogue. What would you what would you say like musical number versus like actual spoken lines would go to? Um I don't really know if there's a whole lot of room to do that because like the narrative is just so tragically different in both. Like they don't really approach things the same way. Um like, with the exception of maybe... <sighs> so, like, they do the Find Your Grail song, which is kind of the over-narrative for the adventure. They do... Um... Well, they don't really do any... I mean, all the songs are sort of big, grand, and trying to do, like, maybe a little bit of character stuff, or do... or just make jokes... They're not really any of them are directly narratively tied. Yeah, exactly. So like they they seem to be one off. So I wouldn't it, I wouldn't really pick that as that, this yeah. is kind of where you want to die on because it doesn't it doesn't really work the same way well, in, the, in the well, show. Well, I didn't I didn't mean it in that sense. I just what I meant to say was more that I feel like the time on the musical numbers is probably about it. It, it is a very sizable chunk of the play. You could not like so versus. Dialogue versus musical dialogue is definitely like twenty eighty. Like it's there's a lot. It's all song. It's all song and dance. Um, but and for the most part, I think the musical the and for the most part, the musical numbers are are jokes or just kind of comic like comic songs. Yeah, they, you've not... got you've got like some ribs essentially. <laughs> well and and you know and a lot of them are a lot of them are just riffs on the broadway style yeah they're like um, well because you've got the song that goes like this and all of the reprises <laughs> so that's like 100 percent every time it pops up it's because you have larger shows that have done this sort of thing and this is kind of just them playing it which is i I, I would argue that honestly the song i feel like it got overused a little bit um, it's in the, it's in the three times, I believe. The song that goes like this. Yeah. Well, it's really more like. But it, each each time have, is different, because they have well, different it's really more whoever's just going. Surprised. Yeah. Um, like very briefly, and that was definitely my least favorite song of the entire show. But yeah. Well, well I mean, I, I I get well, the we'll joke. We get to that later. Yeah. Like I, I but, understand it. I mean, they really needed a little bit more uh, get on with it, but that's... <laughs> yeah, well, there was but, a, there's yeah. a little bit of quote-unquote faffing about that could have been yeah. cut out. There, there's a, yeah. Um, um, so we went part, from what? We did the the song that goes like this, the Laker Girls. There's sort of like the rally song, uh, All for One, that has like all of the knights doing oh, kind yeah. of a scene, which was okay. I didn't, I wasn't really like sold on it i guess like it was just sort of a placeholder mm -hmm. for me they have uh they have the so they have uh 
I think that's most of the big songs they have um, for the first half. They well, do, you we have nice they do around. a song set. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. So you've got like the the big songs. I would say in the first one are uh, not dead yet. Uh, probably the Laker girls scene, like the big lady yes. in the lake ensemble. Uh, Nights which at the Round Table se- which, and Runaway. Which segues, yes. Yeah, <clears throat> Laker girls segues immediately into the song that goes like this. You have All for One, Nights at the Round Table, which is the Nights at the Round Table is the the Camelot song from the original original movie. There's Find Your Grail, Runaway. Which was the extended French scene, which was bar none. Wild. Like, that was a ride. So, I would. <laughs> I, like, I can't. I can't prepare you for. Because, you know, you see it. They do every single line from the movie of the French taunting. And then they, uh, they click that knob up to 11, and they have, like, almost a, what, a four or five minute extension on a couple of the, the ribs that are just like. All right, that took a turn. <laughs> and then, yeah, it uh, to not spoil anything that that leads into probably like it 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 fully goes up to eleven on that one. Yeah, like that the one. French taunting scene. That was, was one of those scenes where yeah. like they really were just like punch it, Chewie, and they did. <laughs> they did it real good. Um, in the second act, you have the Always Look on the Bright Side of Life reprise. You have... So they did have an intermission, and they didn't have the intermission yeah. we wanted, but... That is... Yeah, we're going to get into that, but... So they did... Uh, so everybody goes out and does the thing, and right when they're doing Act 2, it's got, like, the big backdrop, and it's got God's hand writing in the book, or the narrator writing in the book, I guess, at this point. Um, and it's... They do Act 3, and then he scratches out <laughs> and does Act 2. I missed that. I yeah, that one. It was that was a late. real cute joke that I didn't immediately realize was a gag. Um, so that was actually pretty funny. And then they open up with uh, the Knights of Knee, essentially, right? Yeah, they were. They were like pretty I, well, hard in Act Two. Yeah, the little knight, the little knights who say knee, accompanying the big knight who said knee, was they were amazing. Well, so the the troupe that did it, um, they had a lot of backup dancers, so a lot of the girls were doing a lot of the non-visible roles, so they came out in the little outfits. You, hear, you just hear a bunch of little girls going, knee, knee, and he was like, all right, that's adorable. <laughs> like, all of the, said, all of the... Uh, uh, yeah, and then they, they, all, they all say it together, like, he said the word, he said the word, he yeah. said the word! So, like, all of the actual supporting <laughs> dancing, so, like, the Lady of the Lakes dancers... Um, the, the girls dressed up in, like, lingerie or whatever just to do the gag. Um, they were also, like, very convincing. Like, they did a, like, the actual quality of the background dancing was really good. Um, like, all of the like, numbers were yeah, well it done. it was, uh, yeah, we're, the numbers were all, the, the numbers, like, all the choreography was cool. They did a lot of great, um, sight gags, great they did costuming. a lot of letter, yeah, lo- yeah, a lot of the costume lettering was uh, I, great. A couple of uh, a couple of sly references to like uh, Monty Python: The Meaning of Life with some of the costumes. Also, the Camelot one where they misspelled it to Camel Toe killed me. <laughs> killed because like Great. so we're in an area yeah. where it's it's mostly uh, uh, older Republicans. So and that's not saying anything, but once you hit sixty five seventy, your sense of humor may not necessarily be what it is currently or running. So. 
Like, stuff like that happens, and you go, ooh, somebody going to be mad. Well, there was a bigger moment of that further on, and I don't know if we want to spoil this whole play. So No, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, act 2 has always looked on the bright side of life. They redo. They they basically play completely straight the Brave Sir Robin song from the movie too, which was great. Yeah, <laughs> they, and they expanded a little the bit. Same style. <clears throat> yeah, it was it was minstrel done. It had a couple of really good extra gags in it. Um, so they did the shrubber, sort of as a passing gag. Really, it wasn't even the shrubber in this one. It wasn't Roger the shrubber. It was just like some lady throwing out a shrubbery. Yeah. Um. That was part of always look on the bright side of life, I think. Yeah, um, well, it was. I think it was in the middle of it, and they did it, sure. and then they finished the song. There was um, the the second act of the movie had probably the two most uh, controversial numbers. Hundred um, percent. So they uh, so they take well, the we... yeah. So they <laughs> so they do brave Sarab, and he meets up with Arthur. Uh, and then they were like, okay, we have a shrubbery, let's take it back to the Knights of Knee. So this is exactly sort of what happened in the movie, minus Sir Robin. Although they didn't do the ogre, the two-headed ogre, or the giant. Three-headed, Sir, three-headed yeah, with Sir Robin, which was kind of a whiff, but, I mean, I, I get why it wasn't included. It didn't really give anything. So uh, they are charged with putting on a Broadway show to pass, and obviously this is a nod to the idea that we're fourth-wall breaking pretty constantly at this point, so it's just sort of the gag. Um, and then Sir Robin gets probably my favorite song in the show, which is You Won't Succeed on Broadway. And the entire, ge- the entire joke is that it's implying that as a West End show, Broadway, um, there's no way you su- can succeed if you don't have any Jewish members. Because they're like multi-talented, they sing, they dance, they do all this stuff. And they have a whole number about how you won't succeed on Broadway if you don't have any Jews. And so prior to this, I had gotten yeah. to explaining to our group specifically, because I had worked at this theater for a little bit, that like a lot of season pass holders and people that aren't necessarily in the know on what shows are coming in just get their tickets and show up on the nights that they have assigned. So you have a lot of people that show up for like a couple of years ago, it was the Book of Mormon, and they're like, well, this isn't what I thought it was, because people don't do due diligence and like look up a show. So, and then they get mad and leave. Which is fine. You know, if it's not for you, it's not for you. But so I had no knowledge going into this about the show. <laughs> so like I specifically avoided it well, because I wanted yeah, to be both, surprised. I knew a lot of I knew what some of the songs were in the in the play and I knew some of the changes, but I deliberately did not look up anything about it before we before we decided we were going to go see the play because I was like, I want to be surprised because I've seen the Holy Grail probably a million times. A couple of hundred times, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's nonsensical. So originally the song was done by David Hyde Pierce, and if you get a chance to actually look it up, do it, because it is phenomenally done. So I don't know this is a song in the show. So he opens up and they're talking and he goes, and the opening line, he has a little bit of a, a monologue, and then he goes, because we won't succeed on Broadway if we don't have any Jews. And all you see is me just kind of eyeball the entire crowd, like just headpan, like, oh, what? And everybody is like losing their minds. And nobody walked. And I was like, this is surprising. Well, and then we had the scene. Well, if that didn't get anybody to leave, the 
the song there was they do like the Prince Herbert song from the movie you know it stop it of course uh, well so you're, we're, we are actually yeah. missing something so they give the Lady of the Lake another song in between these scenes oh, which that's is right. sort of her breaking the fourth wall as like where's my part why haven't I been in the movie in the last half an hour so <laughs> it, it's like it's a good sort of uh, like stab back to the fact that she was very prevalent in the first act uh, and then she completely goes away until the end of the movie, <laughs> end of the play again, which was pretty funny. Um, so then they do Prince Herbert, and they have the the, the guards uh, do their thing, <laughs> which, which is still they they did a great job with that bit. I I love that bit. I, it's easily one of my favorite bits in that area because like it's just so easy. Mm-hmm. Um. And then Lancelot, you know, they do Lancelot coming in to rescue. And then they Okay, have... so and we have to talk about this because we don't need to do it later. So yeah. they in they they intimate intimate the like he's running up the stairs to save uh Prince Herbert and there's murdering and you're screaming and all that. But they don't do and they do the idiom. <laughs> they do the idiom thing in the beginning with him and his uh assistant. But they don't do message for you, sir. Oh dear sweet Concord. Oh dear sweet Concord. I'll be fine. No, you won't. Uh, And they so they don't do the rewind run towards the castle, (laughs) which is one of the best scenes in a comedy ever made. Because like you just don't know where the fuck it's going. Like it is lost in itself. And then then you have. Lancelot storming through the castle and killing like 50 people. Yeah, which, which they, they really don't scene. get into in the show. But, which is, which, you know, stuff that's hard to fill, or stuff that's hard to make into a play. That's yeah, like, because you would have to have, like, he's doing a small circle behind a prop to come back. Like, I get why they didn't do it. And then uh, they have this big scene where um, Lancelot and Herbert are talking, and Lancelot and then Lancelot uh, starts talking to Herbert's dad, and they get, they do all their thing. And then, in a change from the movie, Lancelot's like, wait a minute, you're a monster. Like, how could you do any of that? And Lancelot confesses to the audience, to the play at large, that he is gay. And then that turns into an amazing musical number. Yeah, like it's... Probably, probably the best one in the entire movie. Now and that and that's arguable because like I really liked You Won't Succeed on Broadway because it was like it had some fiddler on the roof kind of moments in it which I was like all right this is a really depthy kind of gag mm-hmm. but his name is Lancelot was an insanely strong number <laughs> so like was... just the dancing involved in it was wild mm-hmm. just the just the just the like just all the choreography all the movements for it it's it's a treat. Yeah, and and the thing that they took out was Galahad doesn't have the castle anthrax scene, so like you don't get the play into at the end where Lancelot saves him and and Galahad's like, I bet you're gay, and then Lancelot oh, goes, no. no, I'm not. So like you don't really like. I think it would have been a little better if they had at least a mention of that style of gag, but um, mm-hmm. I get why they didn't. Like anthrax just wouldn't have made any sense. Um, just for and just for a quick, I guess, on the roundup, uh, you know, you get to see the Black Knight scenes kind of remixed. You see, the they were re- they were see... pretty true to the Black Knight scene. Well, I mean, it's it's in that it is in the movie. They do they do it, um, or it's in the play. They do 
yeah. they act it out. There's you you get the stuff with Tim the Enchanter and the rabbit, which I the think rabbit of Carabinog. The the Kyan of Carabinog. That's probably my, that was actually probably to me the best my favorite part of the well, That's because but, Tim the Enchanter is just like your spirit well, the, animal. Yeah, I mean yeah. And well and that scene is always one of my favorites of the it has it has so many great lines and so much and so much fun effects work. And then um and you know, we're we're not gonna really get into the ending. Um but you get um just just for the sake of not entirely spoiling this play for you, but um I guess in summation of it you get um a very, it is a very broad comedy. You get a strong bunch of music numbers. Uh, You've got, I think, looking... some whiffs on music. I think for the most part oh, it's def- very strong. Oh, but the, <laughs> I think the uh, the scale here for the litmus is like the strong numbers are so good that it makes the okay numbers worse, I think. That's definitely fair. That is definitely 100% fair. Because, because like Spamalot is like Knights of the Round Table is very strong. Uh, he's not dead yet. Was really strong. Um, the extended French scene. All for scene one is kind of amp, but it's just all for one is just there. loose. Like it yeah. just doesn't do anything. Like Nazi they only do I, the yeah. monks chant once, twice. I think yes, they do it twice. They only have that. They only have that joke once. Yeah, which is fine. But uh, find your grail was okay. I really didn't like the song that goes like this. Well, <laughs> it was. I like. Yeah. We've agreed that it serves its purpose. But it's not as... Actually, it's not actually a good song. Well, no, I mean, it as a satire of Broadway culture, it does its job very, very well. It's just, as you sitting here watching it as a dude that, or a chick that just paid for a ticket, it's not great. No. Um... Um, they do a gag uh, after the Killer Rabbit and the, uh, the Holy Grail where um, it blows up and it gives you, like, a seat number. So it's, uh, like, Dunn, Cone, or Bone, referring to, like, B1, D1, uh, C1, et cetera. Um, And then they find the grail underneath somebody's seat in the the audience, and they, like, drag him out, and everybody's like, ah! And he gets a selfie with the... uh, With the cast. With the cast and everything. Because it went up on Twitter pretty fast. Um, So that was super cute. So they had, like, it it was a fun little, like, let's get the audience involved kind of thing. So I liked that. That was a very big surprise. Oh, I I definitely like that element. I I don't go to enough plays to really... um, Most of my experience with theater is from reading plays. um, Whereas I've been on the front and back of a lot of plays because I worked back of house at the theater. But it's, it's very different depending on what play it is. Um... Yeah, the uh, honestly, all of the songs in the second half um, were generally pretty awesome. The only exception was, I think, the diva song for the Lady of the Lake. It was fine. It Not just a wasn't. Fan. It just wasn't great. Like the Lady <laughs> of the Lake character is understandable, but it's more of a Deus Ex Machina for the narrative. Um, it's just well, to it tie just... loose things together. Of the original things for the play, she's by far the most prominent. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely make her specific that way, but she's just not great. Like, Now, that being said, the performances were amazing. The, the lady, the, the young woman oh, that they had playing I, her I had don't have, an insane I, I don't have any, range. Yeah. 
Oh, she had a like she had from a an actual voice. performance point of view, she did fantastic. Like she had everything she was supposed to. She had the right amount of like sass and sort of je ne sais quoi. Like she she really like <laughs> she really threw it out there. Like and I can one hundred percent get down on it. It's just the writing for the songs is just it's, really it, it's definitely weak. a writing fail. Unless yeah. like I you know there was nobody in the cast that I was that I had, you know, any issue with. No, performance-wise, I think everybody hit hard as they could. And it was done well. Like, there wasn't a weak member of the cast. Um, so, um, I guess getting towards the end of it of other kind of changes or nitpicky stuff, um, I think the biggest fail for me, at least thing that they could have added from the movie to make it a better experience was I would have liked to have heard some of the music from the movie uh, used. And I think the biggest whiff was not having the intermission music at all. Uh, yeah, but that, that's a that's a smaller gripe. Like, yeah, and, could and they have granted, used it? Sure. And granted, I found this out later. Um, all of the music from the original movie that wasn't written by uh, the Pythons or Neil Innes is uh, actually licensed from a catalog for, um, I think, the DeWolf music catalog. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a million rights issues that they'd have to do to get around that. But it is something that um, I guess I was missing. Yeah, I think it was fine. I think um, my only weak spot was I think I would have shuffled some of the scenes around, um, like, the knights doing their solo for all for one, I would have taken out to maybe add something at the end of act one or maybe pad act two better. Um, because the segue think, into Knights of the Round Table was fantastic, but yes. all for one is just not a great song. Like, it's just really weak. Um, Especially going into Knights of the Round Table. Yes. Like I, the, think, <clears throat> I think what I would have liked... Um, because they take elements to try to expand on the characters and make it more of a narrative. I think that they kind of set up some stuff that you think is supposed to be important, and then they end up not doing anything with it. Well, I mean, there's and... there's a lot of whiffs as far as, like, hey, this might be important later, and 90% of it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that element. Um, and, you know... Part of it is just the part of it is just you know having to write a narrative with uh, mostly comedic, like we, well, what you're here for is the comedy. You want to keep that kind of going. You want to keep the Python style of surreal or weird or. So like... I just uh, I'm in the wiki right now and I'm I'm mm-hmm. piddling around on like notable Broadway cast replacements. They had Alan mm-hmm. Tudyk do Sir Lancelot at one point. You know how good that would have been. My God. <laughs> would have lost my butt. My whole butt. Because I love Hank Azaria, and the guy they had doing Sir Lancelot in this one was fantastic. But, like, I'm a slut for Alan Tudyk. Like, Wash is one of my oh, favorite yeah. characters ever. Like, I'll watch pretty much <laughs> anything he has a speaking role in. I think the biggest one to me is Tim Curry as King Arthur. I think that's that just sounds magical. Oh, it really does. And I mean, it's one of those things that, like, if you weren't of age to have seen it, like, sure, you could find a copy of it. But, like, there, there's no way to replace that kind of experience in person. Like, there's just, it just doesn't happen. 
So we are running a little longer than I think we normally would have for an episode of this, Ken. Um, so yeah, I think overall it's fine. Um, I really liked the transposing from movie to play. I think it did a very good job. Um, it had I some really hit gags. So like they find out halfway after the Jewish song that Patsy is half Jewish, but he didn't want to say anything. Um, because that's not really the sort of thing you say to a heavily armed Christian is the quote. <laughs> and probably the best probably the best line in the in the play. So it got pin drop, cricket quiet after that happened, and then people lost their minds. It was amazing. Um there uh you know, overall I had a really fun time. Uh it was it was a cool thing to see as a like Monty Python addict like like I honestly you so yeah. even if you're not a python fan i think you'd still walk away with an enjoyable experience i, I don't oh, think I, as strongly as if you have watched the holy grail because like you're just gonna go in blind and there are a couple of things you're like all right none of this makes any sense but it's still I fun think, i think the ideal <clears throat> is somebody who knows they like the holy grail but maybe hasn't seen it in like a while yeah so that they can it's a good refresher of, show yeah and, you know, I think for the most part, the adaptational changes are either were, you know, obviously to some degree necessary and mo for the most part work fine. Uh, if like you're tr if you're not like if you're if you're a theater going person and you're looking for a good musical, I think you can't really go wrong with it. I think that if you're not like just if you're not, you know, somebody who goes to the theater for a comedy show, then you have no business being there. But um, I think I could say that about, you know, a lot of other things. If it's not your thing, it's not going to be your thing. This isn't going to, I think, change anybody's mind. Yeah, no, this but, isn't, this isn't going to rock yeah. your world if you're not really into Python. Like, it's just not going to happen. But for the most part, it's a solid show. It's a lot of fun for the music and the comedy bits. I think, um, I think most, I think most people go and have a pretty decent time. I agree. So, um... That's it for spam a lot from us. Um, I think for the most part, go watch it. It was good. Like I, I don't have. If any... you if you can catch it at a the at a theater near you, have a great time. Yeah, I think it'd be fine. Um, so stay tuned. So we're gonna have an episode up uh, next week. We haven't. We've got a sort of a a planning issue that we're having as far as timing. But right now we're just throwing darts at a board and trying to figure out what we're going to bring to you. But I'm sure it will be amazing. Yep. We're going to start hard with a, a big dump of content so you can hopefully decide if you like us or not. But join us next week. We're going to be talking, or rather next session, for a, a good old roundtable discussion of a book. What book? Well, you'll see in the title of the evening from Derek. And Jordan. So enjoy your nights and go home. <laughs>